Cheer yourself up and get your weekly dose of the country five star review on bon, on iTunes bon, bon, by Green Jelly Bean. Refreshing, informative, and bonkers. Oh, what more could you want from a podcast? My wife bought me a can of worms wormery one birthday from Wiggly Wigglers, and then I found a podcast. Yes, this is a good way to promote a business, but it's more than that. Interesting people. Mm. Great business, lots of fun, learn some new things and maybe think about doing your bit for the planet. A great weekly treat for me on the commute to work. Go on, give it a go. Smiley upside down. Wiggly Wigglers, and this is the Wiggly Podcast, coming today from... A shed in Herefordshire. <laughs> and I think you've set us up, haven't you, Herb, today, slightly? You've got, me, you've got me over here under false pretenses. You didn't you want to come there, did mention, you? Didn't mention anything about <laughs> what you're about to mention. I'm Heather, and I'm joined today by an extremely happy... Richard. Uh, <laughs> and a very, very happy... Farmer Phil. And we're at our new warehouse, which is secretly a potato shed in Eton Bishop. Never come. Never, ever visit this shed. No visitors must come. It's a secret <laughs> I shed. It, I think it is a secret shed. No? <laughs> you, wouldn't, you would never know it was here, would you, anyway? Yes. So I had this great idea of broadcasting from our new shed. Mm. And I received an email back from Richard which said... It possibly wouldn't be a good thing to broadcast on the shed because it may not be conducive to the creative juices that enables him to spout his drivel. And I thought, we have to go to the shed. But as soon as I knew, as soon as I said that email, I knew for a fact that I was coming to the shed. You have had trouble lately with the written word, haven't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. yeah, you yeah, have yeah. discovered that it's a bit more powerful than you'd given it to. Yeah, that's right. Well, we've got hundreds of reviews to get through. Well, five British ones. We're going to go to the US review and the German review next time. But first, I want to say you two rustled up a big response. Pesticide row has brought in a lot of response. So we'll have to go to that next time because there's so much of it. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah, we had a couple of cracking uh, emails from uh, various people, haven't we? So not least of all Podchef, of course, with his hugely comprehensive uh, <laughs> insight into... Oh, he goes into on, what's doesn't the he? Best. Yeah, Let me go on. Yeah. It was un- unusually badly informed this time, though. <laughs> 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 oh, He's Phil, I think you, I think you could almost a response for that. Yeah. Just anyway. to get him fired up, really. <laughs> anyway, let's have a Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. The tawny owl is nocturnal and therefore seldom seen in daylight. Another Montycast... A weekly fact on wiggliness. Next week. Anyway, coming up on this week's show, we hear about the co-op banning pesticides to save bees. Mm. So I'd like to, like to have a chat about that. We've got an event coming up. Think it's a knockout crossed with a supermarket trolley dash. And you won't be far wrong. I'm going to sort these boys out once and for all. This is a testosterone trial. (laughs) 
It could be like superstars, Rich. And I'll win because, of course, I'm fit. That's <laughs> yes, right. Fit. Swap the I for an A and he'll be doing even more. Aft. He's aft. <laughs> yes, he's very good at those um, Terry Jacks things. Remember those on Superstars? Alex has given me some isotonic no, drinks no. as well. Really? Anyway, um, we're going to find out about moles. There's a mole in the hool. Indeed. You've been out on I was, a... I was asked by a particular gentleman about things concerning moles, and so I had a little episode earlier on today, in fact, in the Aww. rain, and a little soundbite dodging my extremely aggressive tup in the field. Bring, bring the lister a nice little piece about molehills. Male sheep? Tup. Male sheep, yeah, yeah. Ram. Male sheep. Yeah, ram. It is a ram. I suppose it is a ram. I mean, why do people call rams? Uh, I mean, they call ram lambs, don't they? I mean, usually you get a male ram, they call it a ram lamb. But when you have a, an animal that breeds with ewes, so it's specifically put in place to tup the ewes, then they, uh, then they refer to I think it's colloquialism, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, in, well, in her- Don't you do any yeah. tupping? Uh, well, <laughs> not with my sheep. <laughs> Anyway, a tup is a slang word for a ram. Yep. Next review, please, Ricardo. It says, uh, fairly new to podcast. I came across Wiggly Wiggles in amongst the wildlife categories on iTunes. Let's just say it was completely different to any other podcast that had me instantly chuckling away and lost in a happy world all of my own. It brought sunshine to a dull January day. I've now downloaded all the previous podcasts and find myself looking forward to the next one. One slight setback in my joy of such an unexpected discovery is that on playing it to my husband, he declared he had instantly fallen in love with Heather. (laughs) (laughs) The power of radio. And I love you too, There's a good reason for getting rid of Farmer Phil. (laughs) (laughs) When my son heard it, he summed it up in one favourite word of his, random. You're all fantastic, and we look forward to getting to know you better. P.S. Monty is a little star. P.S. again. Love the piano playing. Is it Monty? Oh, you'll find out when you've listened to all hundred and billion episodes. I was going to say, there is a computer with a tummy ache somewhere there, isn't it? With all that lot downloaded in one go. Yeah. Yeah. You'll find out who's playing the piano. Shall we give her a clue? Yeah, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a great clue (laughs) Brilliant Rich (laughs) Farm Phil, have you got one? Got a review by Bexky, five stars The Wiggly Paradox Wiggly Wigglers is a big friendly green hug Essentially Heather, Farmer Phil and their son Monty invite us into their family farm to chat about cows Oh, there's more. Sorry. <laughs> Growing veg, wildlife and goat socks with a little help from environmental expert Richard. <laughs> mm, a little help. Heather also runs a mail order business of the same name which sells excellent garden bits and bobs and the podcast is the most ingenious advertisement for this company though it is so much better than just that. The great wiggly paradox is that while Farmer Phil struggles with the bureaucracy of modern farming he has also led into debate over environmental issues, which lead him to reveal the difficulty in reconciling farming with the health of the planet. As a vegetarian who drives to work and feels bad about it, I am hoping that there will soon be a podcast when the Wigglers find the answer to the world's environmental problems. If anyone can find the way, I'm sure it will be them. Wiggle on. I tell you what, if we do, it'll be a good day. <laughs> 
One night we were at the pub and we were with some very important people and Monty decided to tell this joke, which was not funny at all, about a child dying in a car crash. It was awful. Mm. And when I went to Wikipedia to look at what paradox meant, it was that a child dies in a car crash and then... The, no, no, it doesn't die. So the child gets injured in the car crash and goes into hospital and the, and the surgeon goes to operate on him, but he couldn't because it was his son and he'd been in the crash. But it turns out that the surgeon was a woman and that was a paradox. I don't think I made it clear. I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Anyway, let's get on to bees. <laughs> Oh, I have muddled that up. Oh, sorry about that. But if you go onto Wikipedia and put in paradox, there's this whole story, and that was the joke. Or it wasn't a joke. Monty said that in public, and it was excruciating. And I feel the I've same way now. I've, yeah. I've no, you know. <laughs> Here we go. The co-op today became the first UK supermarket to ban the use of a group of pesticides implicated in billions of honeybee deaths worldwide. It's prohibiting suppliers of its own brand fresh produce from using eight pesticides that have been connected to honeybee colony collapse disorder and are already restricted in some parts of Europe. The co-op said it will eliminate the usage of OEC. Nicotine-based chemicals, that means. Uh, where possible, until shown they are safe. The co-op has over 70,000 acres of land under cultivation in England and Scotland, making it the UK's largest farmer. And we know the lady who's in charge of the farm, Christine. So, hello, Christine. So, I thought that we should just address this, because I read that and thought, that is brilliant. Not only that, you get a discount off a bee nester. Mm. It's a fantastic setup. there. I, I thought the whole project was inspired. When and I it's called... Plan B, hmm. which I thought was funny because, of course, Marks and Spencer's plan was Plan A because there is no Plan B, and now the co-op have got a Plan B, B-E-E. It, it of course, is fantastic because it actually demonstrates the correct way to sort out whether a pesticide should be used or not. What are you on about? You were the one trying to defend them last week. No, what I'm saying is that the, what the co-op have said is that these group of chemicals have been implicated in harming bees. Therefore, we're not going to use them until you can sort out one way or the other whether they do. That's essentially what they've said. That's how it should be done. What shouldn't be done is what the EEC are doing and saying, because it's an endocrine disruptor, we'll ban it. The point is that these, the co-op are doing it the correct way. However, there is an interesting sideline. Hang that. on. Rich... Yeah, I, I just. <laughs> I, I think they're absolutely right yeah. that if these chemicals are harmful to bees, then ban them. But no bees, no food. It's mm. as simple as that. So that I'm not against that in any way, shape, or form. And I think what they. So they've before done, we move on, does Farmer Phil use any of these chemicals? Well, that was. I thought I'd better find out. So I went through the list of active ingredients, and I won't bore you with the names because they're utterly meaningless, and I can't spell most of them. And we have used one or possibly two of them. Now, interestingly. Of the eight chemicals they've banned, I can't find a recommendation to use three of them at all in this country. Ah, so that's a bit of PR, So it? that I stand to be corrected on that, but on my database, I couldn't find any product that contained them. So a fourth one was in a product called Goliath, which its only use is for killing cockroaches in public hygiene situations. 
which I thought was interesting. And then there were a couple of sprayed-on insecticides for aphids, mostly in potatoes. Well, let's have the names. We need peas. detail, darling. Well, they're, Details. They're thiacloprid and thiamethoxam. They were two chemicals that are used mostly in potatoes for aphid control. So not being a potato farmer, I'm not entirely sure of the implications of that, but there are other aphid controllers. And that left the last one, which is a chemical called imidacloprid, which is probably the most used one of the group and probably the most surprising one of the group because it's a seed dressing. And so it's used as an insecticidal seed dressing, mostly on oilseed rape, but also on sunflowers in, in Europe. And they reckon that it's had an effect on bees, which is interesting because the bees would never get near it. So somehow it's either getting from its place as a seed dressing into where bees go. And that's quite a worry because that's a modern chemical. And that if there is a link there that they haven't found, then that's not right. The two aphid sprays are sprayed on. So it's quite logical to assume that a bee could get sprayed or could walk on the plant which had been sprayed with that. So it would come into direct contact with it. But I just thought it was interesting that from my point of view, it is possible that I've used the aphid sprays or one of them, but I don't use them now. The other thing I thought was interesting was that none of these eight chemicals, as far as I can tell, will be banned by the EEC's impending regulations. So it just demonstrates that the practical, it might or it does damage bees, let's be careful or not use it at all, is quite a long way away from this theoretical claptrap that the EEC are giving us. And I just think, so what the hell is going on? OK, Farmer Phil, so now you've had your medicine, it's been proved that these things are harmful to bees. No, it hasn't been proved. It hasn't been proved at all. There is circumstantial evidence to suggest that they are connected to the All right, the... I'll go for implicated if we have to be technical. But they're implied in this, yep. and the research has shown that, so... Are you, as a farmer, going to spread the word that no other farmer, and yourself <coughs> included, is not going to use these eight? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair comment. That If there is a reasonable suggestion that these are implicated in that, then we shouldn't use them. Quite interestingly, there's one chemical here that we don't use. It's another seed dressing, which is quite interesting because it's called deter, and it's used as an insecticide, but it deters slugs. And so there's the interesting paradox... Well, not paradox, you've confused oh, me as to what paradox, paradox is. Paradox again! But <coughs> depending on how harmful it is or it isn't to bees, is it more harmful to not use it as a seed dressing and then have to put slug bait on afterwards? There are complications, and there's no indication as to whether one's worse than the other. All I'm judging them on is how much use, I think, that they're put to. My second question is... If you're, I know you're worried about bees because bees are you know, responsible for a mm. lot of food that we eat. If this was something else, like a butterfly, I wonder if you'd have the same response. Well, it's unlikely to be just butterflies, is it? All these things are connected together. So if it's harmful, ah. if it's harmful to bees, then you know, in the past, for example, we've used insecticides so you try and spray them when the bees aren't there so it's cool enough or it's in the evening so the bees are back in their hive or whatever so you avoid the contact but essentially an insecticide of any sort is likely to not do other things much good yeah i know you do that i know you go out in the evening 
But do other farmers bother to do that? I think they do, yes. I think that, I mean, you're always going to find the bad apple, as it were, but I think UK farmers, on the whole, are responsible. The instructions on the can tell you that that's how you're supposed to use it and tell you the reasons for it, and the training that we have to undergo to put agrochemicals on backs that up. So I think, on the whole, yes, we are responsible in that way. Mm. So, Rich, how are we going to attract honeybees in the garden? Because whilst the bee box that we do, and they're going to do, is brilliant for mason bees, mm-hmm. that's not going to fix the honeybee population. No, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, the honeybee population is in decline for lots and lots of different reasons. I mean, you can't just put the finger on, on pesticides. The reality is that probably pesticides will be contributing to invertebrate decline generally, but it's not just because of, uh, of what farmers do. You know, we've all, got, we've all got a hand in it, really. And if you want to provide opportunities for honeybees, then you need to plant suitable pollen and nectar-rich flowers. So one of the best things you can do, in fact, is to buy... Um, I've, I've created a, a patch of, of bare soil and um, buy a little sachet of cornflower seed. And, really? Uh, and you can make a, f- a fantastic space. That very actually mixed. was another of the co-ops. I think, that, I think the co-op are providing something One like of their that, points anyway. was that they were going to plant pollen and nectar strips on their farms as part of their... Plan, promote, B. plan B. But the best thing, you know, is to, plant, is to plant things that flower in succession. So you've got flowering from the end of February, beginning of March with your hebes and your uh, ketoniasters and your grape hyacinth right through until probably November time when the last of the, of the napweeds and the oxide daisies and whatnot are going over. So the point I'm trying to make, I suppose, is that if you've got a long season of lots of opportunities, lots of pollen and nectar for all those inverts to, to feast on, you'll be supporting a much greater population density. So that is all important. Presumably, my understanding was that a bee, because it, it gathers the nectar and makes honey, if it has all the nectar in a concentrated period of time, say from one crop, then the bees eat the honey to survive the period when they don't have any nectar to collect from the fields. Yeah. And interestingly, these chemicals that the co-op are banning, a lot of them are used on oilseed rape, which is a fantastic source of nectar for bees, admittedly for a, a sort of shortest section of, of the summer, but it's quite a significant food source for them. Mm. So that if we take away the chemicals that allow us to grow the crop, and that results in taking away the crop or significant areas of it, where does the balance go wrong? Is, is it better to reduce oh, the chemical... paradox. ...the chemical influence, depending on how good or bad it is, or reducing the food source, which has the biggest the, effect? You know, one of, the, um, one of the theories behind chronic colony collapse is that it's the fact that the con has been burnt out so quite literally they sort of die overnight from exhaustion mm. because there's, there's, there are instances where American farmers, for instance, have set up beehives in almond plantations so they can pollinise the crop really mm. quickly. So what those bees are doing is, is monopolising on the opportunities they've got within a short period of time, relatively short period of time. So consequently, bees have a flying time. You know, they don't have a, a kind of... They don't is, live is that for a true certain amount of, of bees years. that aren't honeybees? No, not saying bees aren't honeybees, but certainly honeybees. Yeah. So what they'll be doing is, if they realise that there's a mass of, of opportunity available within a short space of time, then they'll work so hard mm. in order to make the best of that opportunity and consequently burn themselves out mm. faster. So you end up with a shorter lifespan for a colony. So the idea, or in, in my mind, the, the common sense element is if those guys realise that there are opportunities for them right the way through the season, yep. then they will provide for their colony 
right the way through the season. Yep. And so you'll get a, a longer, more vibrant community of, uh, of honeybees. Anyway, well done to the co-op, I reckon, <coughs> because they're also including 150 grand for research into the impact of pesticides on the decline of honeybees in England, where more than a third of hives were wiped out last year pretty shocking you know really third of hives i mean yeah, it, it you know it's, it's very worrying because all these little things that are creeping us you know this constant sort of impoverishing of our environment we're just sort of brushing it aside you know we're, we're, we're really sort of like ostriches but all these things will amount to significant hellishness in a couple of decades and you sure. don't feel well, do you, today? And I, I don't feel well today <laughs> at all, no. no, no at all. But anyway, think, the point mm-hmm. is, Farmer Phil, if you're happy to see the co-op ban these pesticides from their farm and you're happy to take up the advice of the co-op with not using these pesticides because of the implication that it may have harmed yep. honeybees, why don't you say, yippee, now we don't need to... If we get rid of the pesticides that you, the European Commission are sorting then we, we will have a positive effect because we won't go on to harm things that we haven't yet understood. I would totally agree with your logic, and I think it, the co-op are on the right track. What worries me is that if I thought the EEC were on the right track, <coughs> then they would be seeking to ban these products, and they're not. The point is the co-op, because these products look as if they've harmed bees, are banning them. Well, and the co-op, no. of course, aren't organic. No, but that doesn't matter. But the point is that it's too late if they've already harmed the bees. If they're contributing to it, that should have been picked up before. What I'm saying is that the EEC system of defining which chemicals are harmful must be wrong because it doesn't earmark these and there's evidence to suggest these are harmful. Wiggly-tastic, Bridget P. I listen religiously to the Wiggly Wigglers team every week, frequently at bedtime, though it doesn't send me off to sleep. I'm usually too busy laughing at the banter between Farmer Phil and Ricardo. Not today, mate. The madness of Heather, oh, in the nicest way, and the antics of the rest of the team. Enlightening, fascinating, encouraging and educational. A real must if you're into the outdoors, the environment, gardening, etc., whatever your age. Go on, give it a go, you know you want to. Now, I am a mole and I live in the hool. There's loads of moles about. Lots of moles this year. Yeah, even Farmer Phil has commented on the mole populations in his fields. They seem to be doing very well, don't they? There's no poisoning anymore. I was going to ask Rich, does he think that's why they are doing so well, or is it just so wet that they're just digging for fun? No, uh, we have to listen to the soundbite, Phil, to get the, the Ricardo lowdown on why there's so much mole activity. It's funny, you know, I read through the... I was reading... Uh, you know, we had a, a few... Uh, lots of people asking me lots of questions about moles recently, and, uh, and as I was flicking through the Hereford Times... Uh, last night I saw a mention of um, what would it be your nephew-in-law or something like that no Alex oh young Alex yeah Yeah. yeah. so anyway so Alex uh, husband of uh, of Sandra uh, made comments about uh, how moles possibly shouldn't be poisoned in uh, you know in public places because they got they had these eruption of molehills in in a couple of the football pitches Mm. locally and um, yeah and obviously the Hereford Times went to him to to ask him his opinion and he uh, and he voiced his concern about poisoning the poor little blighters uh, which I, would, I was quite pleased about. Cause that's it's lovely. Not, um, I would just have to tell you of my brother's attempts. Well, actually, they were quite successful, but no, you won't. Control. That's the end of that. Off we go to Richard's. Um, Richard's recording. Thank you. Well, I've walked down into the paddock on a particularly unpleasant winter's day. The rain is kind of lashing down from the east, but um, I've walked down here to to investigate all this mole activity. 
that's really obvious at this time of year. I was uh, I was contacted uh, earlier on this month by a, a chap called Ken Bolton, who was particularly complimentary about uh, the walk in the woods piece that um, that we put out a few weeks ago. So thanks for that, Ken. That's the most appreciated. But Ken was asking me about um, mole activity and why there was so much at this time of year. So sort of after Christmas, why all these monstrous great mole hills were so apparent? Uh, it's difficult to say really, but I can only assume that that mole activity is determined by their prey, which is uh, obviously worms. If, uh, if, for instance, you know we have these kind of cold and, and warm snaps, just as well, just as the new year begins, just after Christmas, uh, I'm thinking, oh, here comes the mud tup. Now, unfortunately, I've got this huge tup in this uh, in the in the paddock, and he is uh, get off me. He's a he's a lunatic. If he doesn't get fed, he just comes and butts me. So go on, off you go. No, you're not on any food. No, on your way. Uh, no, I don't think so. You get away from me. Go on, off you go. Anyway, back to the business of moles. So what tends to happen in the colder months is worms tend to burrow uh, much, much deeper in the soil. And obviously the moles are going to follow them down. Now, if we have a, a period of mild weather, for instance, where we have lots and lots of rain, then if that soil becomes saturated, I imagine what happens is in order for worms to get into what is a essentially more aerobic environment, they'll come up to the, the top of the soil. And, uh, of course, they'll be followed by the moles. Now, because the moles are burrowed much, much deeper into the ground, when they come back up to the surface, they're going to have a lot more soil to shift. So, as a result, you end up with these monstrous great mole hills. Uh, I think that's probably the only answer. I mean, often, you know, mole hills, you can see a, a, a especially big mole hill amongst smaller ones, which, is, which are called a fortress, interestingly enough, and that tends to be where they're going to have their young. And they don't breed much moles. I mean, they're quite long-lived in mammals, sort of three years or so, and they, they probably only breed um, once a year. But they are particularly menacing sometimes in certain situations. My wife's always saying to me, can, can, what can we do about the moles in the paddock? Because it, it, literally now, as I, as I gaze around me, it, uh, it looks like something from a, from, a, from a war zone. But there's nothing we can do. And, and to be perfectly honest, you know, I suppose the best thing is to, for me to just come down and, and kick and spread the soil around on the surface so as the grass can get back through so we don't end up with dead patches of grass. But of course you can lift your... Lift, I mean, it's fantastic tilled soil to fill up planters so you can shovel it up and put it into planters and the like it works an absolute treat there are of course uh, lots of different uh, mole deterrents i um, i did a talk earlier on this week and uh, and one of the ladies in the audience asked me what she could do about the, the moles because she was having huge problems with the moles excavating her lawn and I said, well, you know, there are all sorts of things. There are, there are sonic terrents and windmills and you can stick uh, upturned wine bottles in the hole so as the wind goes across the wine bottle and makes a sort of uh, eerie sound down in the hole and that, uh, that, that sort of supposedly spooks the mole. But, um, but the reality is that none of these things will work and you, oh, you can trap them and, and possibly even you can get uh, a contractor to come in and poison them but that's you know that's a little bit unfair i don't think sort of inflicting that uh, sort of abuse on another animal uh, poisoning you know pretty grim really pretty grim so it's almost a question of just having to suffer them and of course the only problem with moles rather not the only problem but another problem with moles is that you if you do get rid of a mole that's on your site then because it's made this this tapestry of tunnels beneath the, the surface of the ground then uh, you, you can easily get uh, new recruits you know they'll just come in and, and fill that void and, uh, and they do tend to live uh, they don't really come into close contact with each, with each other you know they, they tend to be several meters sort of 10 meters apart at any one time you know they don't like coming into contact with, with each other they're pretty independent really so yeah difficult things so that's my theory and uh, and take on why you get so much mole activity at this time of year
Okay, the moles are over, Monty's over, the pesticide's over, and I've been thinking that we need a competition. And so today we are at our new warehouse, and I know most listeners won't be interested in this, but for me it's brilliant because all the bits and bobs are on the shelves, and I remember when I first got to Blakemere doing my first ever order, and it was for 20 bags of lime mix and 20 bags of worm treat. And I got into the stable and it was a really hot July day. Mm-hmm. And it, we used to do flowery lime mix. Right. And after a day at it, I was covered from head to foot. <coughs> in I was so hot, I'd taken my shoes off. <coughs> and a friend of mine brought round a cream cake and a Diet Coke. Oh, that's the, nice, the usual yeah. cream cake and Diet Coke. And I was busy in um, eating my cream cake that's and drinking That's a paradox, my, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> drinking my Diet Coke when Garby's grand-gran came round. Lovely Grand Grant with her hairnet and her lovely tweed suit and she's absolutely pristine. She's like a little bird. She's absolutely beautiful. Uh-huh. And I was the new daughter-in-law in this shed covered in crap. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, the fact that we're here broadcasting just this once from the warehouse means a lot to me. Right. Because there they are, you can hear all the racking and packing going on in the background, the lorries and everything, and it's efficient and clean. Yes. And what it's a, been a such a lot of years of mud, mm. I'm glad we're here. So yeah. I've made us come here, and I am going to go through with the trolley dash to prove to the listeners how fast... Our order processing packing is. And so I'm going to. I have put to say, the... Rich is giving a very good impression of being decidedly unimpressed with this prospect. <laughs> he's sat there looking like he's on a naughty step. <coughs> he could burst into tears at any oh. moment. Well, I've given him a mincer kit, of course, to pick. (laughs) 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 He'll mince up and down those aisles quite Uh, nicely. One huskless feeds and a peanut pieces. This is all done by Karen. Oh, golly, thank you very much. And uh, Farmer Phil has one bird songs and calls, a worm treat and lime mix, and some moisture mats to pick. And we're going to live pick Mrs Belinda Shan's order, Mr Chris Scanlon, Mrs. J. Healy's and Rosalind Mitchell's order. So if it's wrong, phone in. It's Richard and Farmer Phil's fault. So, boys, inside the shed, you will find two trolleys loaded up with bins ready to go. Right. The rules of the race are as such. <laughs> so There's to be. <laughs> Come on, you big girl. So that, row D. That, that tells you where they are. And that's row C. Yeah. Come on, you're behind. Hang on, and the rules <laughs> are no running, Useless. no it's bashing, no and they're oh off. Where is it? <laughs> that's a trolley. That's a trolley is this a trolley? Jesus no, you Christ. can't have yeah. that trolley. Yeah. No, you which don't is want row? That. Uh, which is um, row uh, uh, D? Ah, no, I'm row D. I, row one. What? Oh, here we go. Come on, come no, on, on. no. Come on out the way. No. <laughs> Look, he's in my way. That's that's I. Come on, Phil. You're in the it's way. It's I. D D diddly D. I. I need a mincer kit, Ricky. J K I. C. I D. Is it? It's the end ones, look. Mincer kit. Well, oh, that's, that's logical, isn't it? IJK. I can see that. Now, I've got a thing here. It says four, oh, 1, aha. 04. So that must be kit. 4 up from the bottom. 02. Look kit. at that. Straight in there. No sweat. I haven't got a hope. Postage and packing. I don't have to pick that. C Worm treat. Wiggly. B. I can do that. 
B must be in 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 there. How are you getting on, Rich? You're very quiet. Oh yeah. Son, where's the Wiggly You're useless. Did you know? B O O one. B. Oh yes. Uh, B O O two. Chuck these in the bins if I get them in the right one. B six. B six. Oh, somebody's left the steps in the way. Useless. Can't get by that. E six C one O one O one. Extra thick moisture mats. Two for can of worms. That's two of them. <coughs> Postage and packing jobs are good. Um. Okay. How are you getting on, Rich? All right, Phil. You're cheating, I know. <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> right, Ricky, here you go. There you go. All done. I don't know, but that's it. That's picked. That's ready to be packed. That's the end of that. I'll just park my trolley up neat and tiny. Uh, peanut pieces. Yes, well done. Is that about right? That's it. In the right containers, in the right way. Have you got the cards? Yeah. Oh. What card? I think I might have it doesn't say card. Oh, no, I haven't said that. Phil's on it. Oh, where do I find the card? Yeah, it's a piece Over here somewhere. Oh, kilos. I, I only work on a location. So, we've got two sixes. Yeah. Any, any card? That's got to work. I've only got envelopes. How are you doing, Rich? I'm still going to win! <laughs> oh. Did you get him? No, I had the card right there, so that's it, I finished. Yeah. Has he won? Yeah. Uh, in your it? dreams, Ricardo! He's been in here more times than me. Yeah. Okay, so far um, We haven't got... Uh, Can I take those? you one? I won here. by a country oh, mile, and then Ricky said there's a little bit on the top of no sort code or anything, and I've got to go and get a card, so I had to go and find a card. So I've done that. And Ricardo ran me over in the uh, in the uh, finishing, but he's it's a more order, isn't it? Yeah. Proper job. <laughs> it's really good, yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, Quiet. it's a really smart setup. Yeah, really good. It's going to make such a dramatic difference to everybody and everything. Yeah. Oh no, we'll help, put these. Rich? We better put these back, can we? Mate. Huh? Do you want any help? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put these. I'm going to put these back now. You haven't got to put it back because it's a real order. I don't know. No, it's sample. Not. Oh, that's no, that's, that's the author. By Jeff Sample? Yeah, that's the book by Jeff Sample. I say I'm real old. It's got a line through it. Oh, there you go. So, so, you, so you need them. You do need them. <laughs> Come on. Are they real orders? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was chaos, wasn't it? <laughs> Just really Your trolley nice. driving is a bit <laughs> sus. <laughs> Sorry, did, you, did I catch you? Oh, I hope it didn't bend the trolley. Sorry, I didn't need to. Uh, do we do it? Yeah. Uh, it's always worse when you catch it. Born, please report to checkout number three. <laughs> you see, that just brought that took me back a bit, though, from not being able to find things previously. <laughs> Well, he does say, make a very I smart trolley dolly, uh, though, okay, I must so say. We need to know who the winner was. No, Phil. Excellent. Phil wins a hobnob.
<laughs> and so that means that you're the loser. <laughs> and I cheated as well. And you cheated. And you cheated. <laughs> well done. That means you have two hobbies. <laughs> still, still going well behind. And so that's yeah, a story of Rich's life, isn't it? He cheated <laughs> and came second. And he had two hobnobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's another paradox. <laughs> winning at, winning at the well, end. from a paradoxical oh, show. We will leave you for another week. Next week, we'll be back, Rich, on the Wiggly Sofa. Mm. I know you prefer it there. Mm. But for once only, from the Wiggly Warehouse in Wiggly Eaton Bishop, <laughs> by Wiggly, Cagebrook. Wiggly Woodlands, isn't it? Wiggly Woodlands, of course. Woodlands, yeah. Then we wish you well for another week. If you'd like to put a review up, no doubt we'll read them, because we always do, because mm. we love them, mm. and they keep us going. I mean, deal with, dark deal with nights. Pod Chef and pesticides next week, shall Yeah, we? more on pesticides, I'm afraid, so if you don't want to listen to it, don't switch on next week. And if you've got an opinion on it, or I'm wrong in some of the things I say, then, you know, let's then be Then don't knowing. bother telling him, because <laughs> no. he takes <laughs> no darn notice. No, we no. told him We won't him be able to, to address years. people, yeah. that everyone that... <laughs> Don't you worry, Rich. Say, say often you're wrong. <laughs> when Monty becomes a farmer, it'll all be fine. Mm. Yeah, it's only another 15 years, I think, and everything at Lower Blakemere will be just a jolly job. Until then, we know Farmer Phil does his best. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Doing his best. <laughs> there you go. Well done.